Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Uh, hello, I'm here. <laughs> He's definitely here, and we're ready to bring you all the sports news you need to know about. So make sure to keep this conversation going after the podcast is over, because there's going to be a lot of sports games going on this weekend, and we definitely want to interact with you. Make sure to stop over to odphpodcast.com, join in the conversation on all our social media accounts, check out the T Public store, Parlay Points. There is a new blog dropping from your coach, my coach, the coach. Coach Duffy. The biggest mark in the room. Yes, indeed. He has a lot to say about a certain team that triumphantly took game one of their series. Well, shit, we know it's not the Knicks. Well, you know, the Knicks got to let somebody else shine for once. So, you oh, know, we know it's also not Brooklyn. Hey. Hey, that is also the facts. But we'll get to that a little later in the show. But you definitely want to keep an eye out for that. And obviously... If it's, not, if it's anything and everything involved in the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And on all social media, remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off this edition of the sports show, there is a lot to recap in the world of all elite wrestling. Uh, yeah, there's like a thing or two. Yes, because this past week, they had their arguably biggest pay-per-view of the year, depending on who you talk to. Uh-huh. Live from Las Vegas, and that was AEW's Double or Nothing. Yeah, it took place at the T-Mobile Arena in wonderful Las Vegas. Uh, announced crowd of 13,875 people. Hey. Uh, also notably, a WWE box truck parked out front of the damn building with, guess whose face on the front of it? Uh, the American Nightmare, the Rhodeslander, Cody Rhodes. Don't believe me? Look it up on Twitter. It was there. Well, there was a lot of pettiness going on between both companies <laughs> this past weekend. Let, let's be honest about this. Yeah. Because the one thing is the WWE had to adjust where they are going to be housing mm-hmm. the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It was going to be a Legion Stadium. Yep. And then they have now moved it to the MGM Grand. Yep. Because, well, when you try going up against the UFC uh, on International Fight Week, it's probably not best to book it in the same town. Yeah. Uh, just kind of putting that karma out there. Well, and also just like money, they consider Money in the Bank one of their big four, big five, however you want to look at it, yep. pay-per-views. I, you know, it's one of the ones I definitely look forward to, but it's not one of the ones I would necessarily like says warrants a, you know, NFL football stadium that like, like WrestleMania. Yeah. You can pack that out. You know, Royal Rumble, obviously in SummerSlam. Duh. Yeah. But you know, eh, money in the bank. Yeah. Not, not so much. No. Well, it's it's debatable because the one thing is in this fiscal year, the WWE can really do no wrong. And they've made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think that this was a situation that they were really trying to push. Could they make Money in the Bank into another big, quote-unquote, premium live event, as the kids say? 
Uh, in this kind of situation, the answer is no. I mean, Money in the Bank is good for one match alone, but it's not like the Royal Rumble. It's an opportunity for mm-hmm. somebody to grab a briefcase to be able to cash in for a title match anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Yep. Now, I understand why they want to make this into a big deal, but at the same time, it's not that big of a draw mm-hmm. for a stadium. Mm-hmm. A stadium is WrestleMania. A stadium is SummerSlam. They're official number two. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. The Royal Rumble is a stadium show. After that, for the WWE live events, unless they're traveling overseas, mm-hmm. there there's nothing to fill a stadium about. No. It's tough to fill a stadium, no. period, for wrestling. So they decided to backtrack out of Allegiant Stadium. They're now going to the MGM Grand. And obviously... Tony Khan and company at AEW uh, had a few uh, nice jabs to shoot over this weekend. Yeah. You can look on their social media to see. Yeah. And obviously, going into their big pay-per-view event, All Elite Wrestling had a lot of eyes on their product, (laughs) to say the least. And we're going to break down the card and see if it actually delivered or not. So, Pad, let's talk about it. Yeah, so the first match took place on the pre-show, and it was the only match on the pre-show, and it was between the teams of Hookhausen, uh, Danhausen and Hook, taking on Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. And you had Hookhausen emerge victorious, winning via pinfall in uh, 5 minutes and 22 seconds. So one thing to note about this, there was one match on the pre-show. Mm-hmm. So we want to clarify this as we're breaking down this card. Yes. This match, obviously, is something for the AEW faithful. If you're not familiar, uh, Dan Housen and Hook are more or less like the rock and sock connection of Mankind and uh, The Rock. Pretty much. Back in the heyday of the WWE. So this was a nice uh, way to kick the crowd off to the show. We obviously knew what was going to happen here. Expecting to see more of this pair uh, moving forward. And I didn't mind the match. It was what it was. It's a pre-show match, and that's where it, it fit well on the card. Yeah. So can't really argue about this one too much. But let's get into the rest of the card. Yeah, so the rest of the card uh, started off with Wardlow taking on MJF. And Christ Almighty, does this have a lot of baggage to it. Uh, despite the fact that Wardlow pinned MJF in 7 minutes and 25 seconds. So to talk about the baggage, it has been well documented on 607 Podcast Programming, especially 607TWS, that MJF has been rumored to be very disgruntled with Tony Khan and AEW. Since about March, according to uh, what you read online. Yes, there's been widespread reports, but I know that we have been talking about this for a while now. Mm -hmm. And this was coming to a very big head as this past weekend... MJF did not come to a meet and greet yep. for uh, pre-Double or Nothing uh, live events with fans. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a WrestleMania access type of thing, you know, where you could purchase. if you And if you've ever been, I know Rich explained it, if you've ever been to like a Comic-Con or a mm-hmm. comic convention, there's a, it's a similar type of setup where you can pay for a photo, you can pay for an autograph, you can pay for a bundle set. You know, there's varying prices depending on who, you, who you're going to see. Obviously, for the bigger name stars, it's going to be a higher name price. For kind of the mid or lower tier guys, it's not going to be so high as a price. You know, so people did purchase tickets to to get photos and autographs from MJF. I mean, Rich has seen uh, photos of the receipts online. People yeah. have people have posted photos of the receipts online. So this ain't like oh, it's smoke and mirrors. Oh, there was never any meet and greet with him. No, there was. No, there definitely was. And like I say, there's been photos all through the weekend about this. So we honestly were not sure we were going to see MJF show up for this match. I mean, right. it was rumored he had a plane ticket. Uh, that people have seen that he yeah. was booked. Did he leave? Did he not? There was, there was a plane ticket. People are looking up, you know, flights out of Vegas into into JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark Airport. 
you know, there there was reports that some of the talent because MJF no showed the uh, meet and greet that some of the talent got asked to stay like two hours extra mm-hmm. on top of what they were already scheduled to be there for. There was a whole kerfuffle with Samoa Joe not being there, but that ended up just being a miscommunication. Correct. He, and he was double booked. Yes. You know, and nobody told him, so no no issues on that end. But it, it obviously for a show that needed absolutely no ed- extra or added hype to the card gave it some. Mm-hmm. Oh, it absolutely did. And as you saw MJF come out for this match, he looked checked out. Mm-hmm. No question in my mind about this, that he was going through the motions. I think that maybe somebody kind of spoke to him and said, look, if you got a problem with Tony, you need to just be professional about this and go because you have a lot of eyes on you, especially in Connecticut, that would love yeah. to sign you as yeah. soon as your contract's up in 2024. And it was also reported by Sean Ross Sapp, and I know Mike Johnson of PWInsider.com, that the night of the show, he, will, he being MJF, was not at the arena until almost the last possible minute and went out for the match had the match and then had the uh, wonderful botch job with the uh, uh, oxygen mask over his head. You yeah. Know? And then uh, prom- after the match was over, he promptly left the building. Yeah, this whole match was more or less a mess. I it, mean, that's the honest it's, way to It's a mess, it. and it almost felt like, you know, because I didn't watch, but I read some of the stuff online and I saw a couple highlights. It felt like a match you would see where you're writing a guy off of TV because of injury. Mm-hmm. That like, oh, you know, this guy, you know, like I remember they did with now John Moxley, then Dean Ambrose, when he had to have like wrist surgery or elbow surgery, some sort of surgery with his arms. I forget what it was. They had him get it in WWE, one of his last runs in WWE. He had a need to get surgery. So they had him in a he was coming out for a match backstage. He got attacked and he got his arm slammed in one of the boxes they used to transport gear and equipment. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it felt like to me that like, oh, we're squashing the shit out of this guy because he's he's going to be gone for a while. Well, that's the way they should have played it. And I thought they were smart about it for their aspects mm-hmm. because AEW could not take the big PR nightmare that would have been if MJF had just gotten up and walked out of the ring. Oh, yeah. And, and, you, and you had to put this match on first just because... Much in the same way they had to come out with CM Punk and hit when he debuted on AEW. If you didn't, fans would have been chanting MJF and all the other stuff because this dude, up until uh, last night as we record, had nuclear heat with the fans. Oh, absolutely. So it's a situation that AEW tried making the best of it. I felt really bad for Wardlow. Yeah, I did too. This was his big moment. And I I think he understood what was going on too. So it's one of the situations like, what are you going to do? Jeff Cobb would have done more powerbombs. That's true. Jeff Cobb is the man. Let's never forget that. Uh, and obviously the botched job of the EMT squad putting the oxygen mask <laughs> on MJF's eyes. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, not the best way to start the night off. Something called Ben Stein. He's got dry eyes. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is, this is like I said, this is just a bad match. Uh, bad scenario, but, I mean, the match yeah. was what it was. I mean, they went through the motions and they got the storyline gone. Yeah. So Wardlow is now officially part of the All Elite roster. Yep. MJF, well, we'll get to that a little later sure. in the show. Yeah. Uh, next matchup was the tag match between the Young Bucks and the Hardy Boys. And you had, because apparently, like I said, it's 2017. Uh, and you had the Hardy Boys, Emerge Victorious, pinning the Young Bucks in 19 minutes and 16 seconds. Okay, so the biggest takeaway from this match, Jeff Hardy looked hurt walking in. Mm-hmm. And if you saw the match he had with Darby Allen for the Owen Hart tournament on Dynamite, yep. both him and Darby were taking unsafe bumps, which I know is not really a shock because if you've seen them in AEW, they like to push the limits. Listen, Jeff has had that history that he's, you know, the charismatic enigma. Yeah. 
So to have him really push the envelope, he always likes to take crazy spots when he was in WWE and so forth. It wasn't really a shock to see them go crazy on Dynamite, but he still looked like a mess walking into the show. Right. And he obviously looked in a lot of pain, and him and his brother, Matt, have been you know, wearing their battle scars, so to speak, mm-hmm. on their sleeves. They're as, very open about it. Yeah, I mean, they look very hurt. And for obviously for what they've done to their bodies over the years. Yeah. So to see this match go on, it was something for nostalgia reasons. Oh, yeah. However, that's all it was. Well, exactly. I mean, there was nothing really too high stakes storyline about this. Mm -hmm. But there was a spot in the match where Jeff was thrown into the corner. Okay. And the Young Bucks did one of their traditional moves where I think Matt threw. Jeff into the corner. Nick came around and gave a, a head kick. Okay. Nothing super crazy. But I think that Jeff really got hit for real. Mm-hmm. And he looked concussed, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. And he struggled the rest of the match. At one point, his, his boot was coming off. He couldn't stand on the top rope. Being the professionals they are, they did adjust oh, on the sure. fly. So, sure. Yeah, they've been around the block. Yes. But it still took away a lot from this match. And when it was all said and done... It was over, and I think everybody was happy in the arena to see it. Yeah, like I said, I didn't watch the the card just because I and this and everyone who listens to this show now know how much I watch AEW, which is almost never at all. Mm-hmm. I strongly considered coming to watch this card because I know you threw out the invite, and I probably would have given the MJF drama and some of the other matches on the card. I th- seriously considered coming to watch it, mm-hmm. but it was the fact that. And we'll get to this a little later, but how many matches were on the card? Because I saw somebody on Reddit had put together a photo of all the little like on-screen graphics they show on mm-hmm. on Dynamite or Rampage. Like WWE does it, TNA does, everybody does it. Where it's like they cut between the fight cards. Somebody stitched all those together, and I went, "Holy fucking shit, that's a lot!" And then also coupled with the fact that Tony Khan mentioned the main event wouldn't go on until after the boxing match, and considering I had to work at seven a.m. the next morning, I went, "Eh." You know, but the thing with this match, you know, having since I didn't watch it, I was still looking at Twitter, looking at Reddit, and there does seem to be. Now, I don't know if it's, it's the majority, but it is a vocal portion of the fan base. You know, the fan base being the internet wrestling community. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nostalgia for the Hardy Boys. Oh, sure, and understandably so. You yeah. know, they're one of the best tag teams of all time. You know, let's not take anything away from them, but there does seem to be a slight turning from, oh, my God, it's so great to see them together again and not shackled by WWE and you know, blah, 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 all that nonsense, to maybe they shouldn't be doing this anymore. You yeah. Because I'm, I'm starting to see some of that, especially on the Squared Circle subreddit, which, if you've never been on there, is very pro-AEW. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't call them, you know, homers or marks, but let's face it, most of the posts lean AEW. Yeah. It is what it is. But I, I am noticing that kind of slow turn towards, man, maybe they shouldn't be doing this. I agree. I think just their bodies are not defeating Father Time on this. And they have all taken some wear and tear. More than anybody arguably in the business has at this stage for doing the amount of extreme matches that they have. Yeah. So, like, listen, is is one of the situations that Jeff just doesn't look right, in my opinion. Matt looks very, very much in pain when he's running, and you can definitely tell his back mm-hmm. is, is wearing it. Mm-hmm. So the fact they, they got on the card, listen, I'm, I'm happy to see them there. I just wish they would maybe consider 
slowing it down or trying to transition to a different style where it's a little safer if you're going to still wrestle at the stage. But I really don't want to see it. I'm just yeah. I, I like for nostalgia reasons. Yeah, it was cool, but at the same time, you're not getting the Hardy Boys that were facing Edge and Christian and the Dudleys in the WWE. It's cool to have them come out. It's cool to have them maybe you know if, if run interference if one of the because their faces right now I'm yeah. guessing you know so if another babyface group is getting attacked on the show, have them come out, run interference, Swanton Bomb, you know, twist up whatever. To stop it, but there's absolutely no reason in this day and age, with as much as they've been through and as little as they can move, that they should be having 20 minute matches. Oh, I agree. And the Bucks, I mean, obviously, we've talked about this at length on 607 Podcast Programming. Uh, the Bucks had about 10 minutes extra on this match because that's mm-hmm. what usually happens in a Young Bucks match. Yep. It should be over a lot quicker, and it wasn't because, you know, we got to do the same old spots. Yep. In my opinion. Next up. Uh, next up was the matchup for the AEW TBS Championship, where you had Jade Cargill uh, defending her belt against Anna Jay, and you had uh, Jade emerge victorious, pinning Anna Jay in 7 minutes and 23 seconds. Okay, nothing really too earth-shattering with this. Jade Cargill is the future of their women's division. Mm-hmm. In fact, she's going to be a very big star in all professional wrestling in a few more years. I mean, she's just very new to the business, and she's on her way. Mm-hmm. But the only thing about this match that really was uh, noteworthy was the debuts and who came out after. Oh. And that would be the one and only Stokely Hathaway and the fallen goddess Athena. Mm. Now, we do know them as Malcolm Bivens and Ember Moon in the WWE, respectively. But this is a huge, huge addition for AEW. Hathaway is the best talker in the game. Like, if you have not seen his work, he's fantastic. And pairing him with Jade Cargill is going to be so beneficial. And then for Athena to be a part of the AEW's women's division, that's a big addition for them as well. I think that she's got some great matchups ahead of her, and I think that this can only you know help raise that division and definitely get some more excitement involving it because I know we've always been extremely critical of the women's division. So this is just another addition that like I know we are get very critical about WWE wrestlers coming to AEW, but I think... Adam Athena is a huge, huge win. Should be. Next up. Uh, next up is going to be, it was a six-person uh, tag match uh, between the team of uh, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black. What are they What are they called these days? The House of Black. Thank you. Uh, taking on Pac, uh, Penta, and Ray Phoenix. Uh, and you had the House of Black emerge victorious, pinning the other team in 15 minutes and uh, 19 seconds. One of the best matches of the night. Got to put it hands down. These six went in there and absolutely tore the roof off the place. And this is what I thought should have opened the show mm-hmm. because they definitely knew the crowd was, I don't want to say out of it because mm-hmm. that's not the right wording. Mm-hmm. But let's just say this. When you have a card, especially a 13-match card, yeah, you got to hit the ground running. You got to set the pace early. You got to yeah. make sure the fans are invested. Obviously, everything going on with MJF and Wardlow, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you come out where Jeff Hardy is not 100%, going through the motions as best he can because he is hurt. Right. It's definitely not going to build that excitement. And Jade Cargill defeating Anna Jay. Listen, we all know Jade Cargill is going to do that. She's the future of the business. And But Anna Jay is still very new as well. Is this match a good fit for what was going to be on the card, especially this early, to get the crowd's energy still going? No. Probably not. It's nothing against both of those women because they're going to be very big stars in the future. But at this spot in the card, I thought, okay, if you really want to get the crowd back, you have to put Death Triangle and House of Black in there, and they definitely got everybody back in. And obviously, the surprise ending with Julia Hart uh, spitting the black mist into mm-hmm. Pac's face, causing uh, him to get uh, pinned. Listen, 
This has been a feud that they've been building up for so long that I think a lot of fans forgot about. Probably. But to finally see Julia Hart get paired with House of Black, I think, is a big win, too. I want to see them on TV more because I think they're probably the best trios team they have in AEW. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll stand by that statement. I think between Matthews, Malachi, and uh, Brody King, I think that you give them enough time, they can really make something happen here. No issues about this. In fact, I wouldn't mind seeing this get ran back, to be honest with you. That's how good this match was. A lot of high spots, a lot of hard hitting. And the crowd definitely got back into it at this point, but here we go. Uh, lead meat balloon. Uh, next up was the matchup for the final uh, in the men's Owen Hart uh, classic tournament, whatever the hell the thing's called, mm-hmm. uh, between Adam Cole Bebe. Uh, and Samoa Joe. And, of course, as we predicted, that you had Adam Cole Bebe. Uh, defeat Samoa Joe in 13 minutes and 15 seconds. And the crowd was still buzzing, but I don't think they got behind this as much. And the crowd goes mild. Well, they were definitely into it, but I think that – it was a situation that when you got to kickstart them and go them mm-hmm. and get going, it was a situation that the match was very good and arguably was the match of the night. Mm-hmm. Like, there's three that you could debate in this conversation. But they were telling a really great story, and I know that they're kind of moving, you know, I don't want to say through the paces, but sure. this, this was a situation that it was already kind of tipped off by the tights that Cole was wearing mm-hmm. because it was pink and black in homage to Owen Hart. Right. That did we already kind of figure out who he's going to win? Like it just had, it had that vibe. Like we were having the six or seven podcast watch party with Rich from Three FN Dog. Uh, you know, Lincoln came through as well. It was one of those deals that we all just kind of went like, "Oh, this feels super telegraphed," mm-hmm. and that's kind of the vibe that it was. So maybe to us, it came off as you know mild, but it was still a great match though. And like I say, once I got into things, it definitely had the excitement to it. And then Adam Cole goes on to win. And then it's kind of a weird situation because for the presentation of this, they had the trophies Mm -hmm. and the cup Mm -hmm. on the ramp as Cole walked out. Mm. Then they moved it. Okay. And then when the – but they did it for obvious reasons as we talk about with the intros for the women's finals. But then they brought it all back out after. Okay. So it's kind of like a weird production setup with that. but. It's one you can stomach as soon as you realize why they did it. So yeah. don't want to take too much away from that. But uh, Cole wins that, and then who wins the women's division? Uh, yeah, so the women's uh, division matchup was up next, and you had Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, taking on Ruby Soho, and you had uh, Britt Baker emerge victorious, pinning Ruby Soho in 14 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay, a couple takeaways from this. Uh-huh. One, Ruby was played out by Rancid. Nice. Who does her real uh, song, uh, Ruby Soho. Fantastic. Love seeing Rancid on stage. Uh, Britt Baker was played out by the Fozzie guitarist, uh, Rich Ward, I believe is his name. Okay. So they really were trying to make this a, a, a big fight feel. And when they got in the match, I, I don't know. The timing was off. Mm-hmm. Britt was still wearing pink and black, too. So it was kind of tipped off that maybe yeah. she was winning here. Albeit, though, in comparison, like Samoa Joe just came out in normal Samoa Joe gear. Right. Ruby came out with "It's Time for a Change" and homage to when Owen Hart was doing that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that gimmick in WWE. So that one, I was like, "Well, maybe we're gonna get the sword." Because in my opinion, I think they dropped the ball with Ruby. I think that she should be doing a lot better mm-hmm. on the rankings yeah. in, in AEW. So, because they matter. Well, it's true, but it's a situation that she's she when they brought her in, she was a big free agent, and she made a very big splash when she debuted, winning the. Uh, Joker Battle Royal there. Right. They do. So 
after that, it's been kind of like, well, we're bringing in somebody else, and everybody gets kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah. So to see Ruby on the stage, it was a good opportunity for her, but this match just didn't click. Mm-hmm. They were kind of not on cue this night, and it, it I was really upset about this, and I was really mad about the ending, too, because... I, in my opinion, Britt didn't need this win. This no. Ruby needed this win very, very badly. But we then had Britt Baker go mm-hmm. back to the top of the stage. Dr. Martha Hart came out. Yep. And this situation of the awards presentation, uh, I don't necessarily know where it really fit in on the card because it just seemed like it went on like a Hall of Fame speech. Mm-hmm. And I think for being in the middle of a 13-match card, mm-hmm. stopping to do an acceptance speech and really kill off the crowd's momentum yeah, just kind of seemed an ill-placed time. Well, and according to reports, Tony Khan bought overtime for the pay-per-view because of this speech, according to reports. I mean, I understand giving the speech. It's the inaugural one. It's the first one. But, like, keep it concise and quick. You know, like, hey, you know, just say something about Owen Hart, you know, because that's who the title, that's who the, the tournament's named after. Mm-hmm. Say something about how, oh, you both of you represent the best that it was, the best that it is, the best there was about Owen Hart, you know, work, working something about how they represent it and and how all oh, you both would make Owen proud with what you you accomplish in the ring and, and move on from there. Don't make it this long drawn out thing, you know, don't make it about yourself. Clear concise to the point, get out. Yeah, the speech was in my opinion it was odd. It was like it, it was an acceptance speech instead of just presenting the well they paid homage with uh title belts. Right. And then they also had a cup, a right. lot like the Stanley Cup. Right. Which it was kind of like, okay, for what you're trying to do here, we could have timed this up a lot better, could have been presented a little differently, maybe save it for Dynamite if you wanted to really go there or do something. Or why are we doing this now, especially with you have so many matches on the main card, you should have bumped a few to the Uh Uh pre-show, and then the crowd maybe would have been okay here. Because in my opinion, this was the turning point of the card because whatever little momentum you had from the uh, six-man tag, Went away. Right. Because everybody got so wrapped up in this, and then you just pause the action because you're doing a, a Hall of Fame-esque speech. Right. That is just, in my opinion, is just not a good time to do that. There's different ways to do this. I just felt that this was a bad time to do this drawn-out presentation instead of just doing it, have him, you know, hold the belts up that they got his trophies and move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up was another six man, uh, or excuse me, six person tag match, uh, where you had Ethan Page, Page Van Zant, Scorpio Sky taking on Frankie Kazarian, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conti, uh, and you had Page Van Zant and Scorpio Sky emerge victorious, winning in twelve minutes and one second. Okay, so coming out of that ceremony, not the match you should have done. The crowd has really turned on Guevara and Conti. The crowd goes sleepy. No, they were giving the quote-unquote X-Pac go-home heat. Hey. It was not a good vibe from the crowd, especially because if you haven't been following Guevara and Conti's storyline, Sammy uh, has not been winning people over. Obviously, it was a very public breakup with uh, yeah. his fiance at the time after he did a live proposal on TV. 
Yeah. And then rumors surfaced about him and Conti's relationship, and they have been, you know... Very public. Very public about it, and... Very PDA. Yeah, and it's gotten to the point where... We're fans of AEW. We're getting mad about Cody and Brandy's uh, time on TV. Yeah. Basically, Sammy and Ty said, hold my beer. The way it's coming off to me and having not watched, but I still see highlights, it comes off like the type of shit you'd see like your freshman year of high school or maybe even, you know, when you're in middle school. Mm -hmm. You know, that that kind of shit. Yeah, it was just as bad. And they teeter around. They're supposed to be the faces of this feud. Right. But they're coming off like heels. Especially, they came out with a... Faces shouldn't be getting go-home heat. Exactly. And they came, and like I say, from what they try buying into, it's it's puzzling. Like, this is where somebody needs to kind of go, okay, if you're going to be heels, be heels. And run with that. Instead of, you're right. trying to be faces, but yeah, you're trying to take shots at, at the internet fan. Like, it, yeah. it, the aesthetics just come off really weird for, for me about this. Yeah. And especially in this match, where you had Paige Van Zandt making her, you know, pro wrestling debut... Ah, this wasn't good. Looked very green from what I hear. Yes, exactly. Like, there, there's no way to say otherwise. Like, this was just a real cluster, mm-hmm. to, to put it mildly. Like, it, this was just all over the place. Ethan Page, Frankie, and Scorpio Sky did their things, but everybody else just kind of seemed, you know, out of it in this mm-hmm. one. And just the timing was off. This just was not a good match. And the crowd was letting him know and subsequently tuned out. Like I say, from when you have that pause in the action, and, right? You know, to come back, it's like when you come back from intermission at a wrestling. Oh yeah, you need something to get everybody going again. This ain't it. This wasn't it. Enough said. Uh, next up was a matchup between Kyle O'Reilly taking on Darby Allen because reasons. Uh, and O'Reilly emerged victorious, pinning Allen in ten minutes and thirty three seconds. I'll be honest, I love Kyle O'Reilly. One of my favorites. No idea why this match was even on the card. Yeah, even I, who don't watch AEW, goes, why the fuck is this on the card and even so late in the card? This should have been pre-show. Yeah. No question about that. They added this match in the Sammy uh, six-person tag match on on Friday night on Rampage. Why? There was no reason. I, I think it was because they were trying to make sure that people were going to tune in and buy time for the main event because the NBA Finals was going on. Which, I'm sorry, if you're spending $50 on whatever service you are to watch this, trust me. You are not invested in watching the basketball game. I'll say also, dear Tony Khan, this isn't the Monday Night Wars of the mid to late 90s where people had to flip channels back and forth. Most, if not everyone, has the ability to watch two things at once. Now, whichever one you pick to have on your television is entirely up to you. But most of us have the ability through... Now, if I'm not mistaken, the game was on ESPN. Mm -hmm. So you were able to watch... AEW on your TV because yep. hey, it's a pay per view. But then, if you are a Boston Celtics fan or a Miami Heat fan or just a basketball fan in general that happens to overlap with uh, pro wrestling, you have the ability to watch the pay per view on your television, and then you also have the ability to watch the game on your phone. Yeah, through the ESPN app, through your cable provider, if you, if they have an app, or you can watch uh, TV on your phone. I know like Spectrum does. Or if you have Hulu Live or YouTube TV or any of the other ones, you have that ability. This isn't the late fucking 90s where, oh, I got to pick and choose which one and I got to flip channels back and forth and hope I catch the good one. No, you can watch them both. Yeah, it made no damn sense. Like when that was getting rumored that that was the reason, if that was the actual reason. Listen, if you're that focused on what everybody else is doing, this is another reason why we're very critical of your product. There's no sense that this should have been this long of a card. None. I'm sorry. You, you could have spaced it out. You could have put more matches on the pre-show. Yeah. This is prime reason why, because 
Kyle was working very stiff during this match, mm-hmm. so I don't know what was going on there. I mean, I know yeah. he hits pretty hard to begin with, right. but at one point, like he busted Darby's face right. badly. And Darby took a very nasty head bump again, right? skidding out of the uh, ring there. You can find it. It's it's made the rounds on YouTube. This is another situation, man. Darby. Well, and the other thing, too, with this card is, that, as we mentioned, it's a 13-match card kicked off at 7 o'clock. Pre-show kicked off at 7 o'clock Eastern. Mm-hmm. But you have to have figured that doors opened at least an hour. I'm going to say probably two hours beforehand just to get everybody in there. Sure. Give them time to go to the merchandise stands and buy the merch. Get your concessions. Go to the bathroom. Get seated. I, you know, I know Rich said an hour, but I'm going to go with two. You know, just to get everybody, because also Vegas. Yeah. You, you know how traffic and yeah. Vegas, traffic and foot traffic in Vegas is. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to, so you got to figure that as long as this card was, people had been in there since at least five o'clock Eastern. So whatever that is, mountain time. Mm-hmm. It's a long ass fucking time to be sitting there. It's a way too long time to be sitting there. And especially when your matches are just, at this stage, the crowd is tuned out and it, it's hard to get that momentum going back again. This match was okay. Um, but not needed for the pay per view match. I think I think it would have been more well received if the ma- if the card wasn't so long and it wasn't this far in. I agree. I, I will. I'll definitely say that. But was what it was. Next up was for the AEW Women's Championship, and you had a Thunder Rosa uh, defending her belt against uh, Serena Deep, and you had a Thunder Rosa emerge victorious, pinning Deep in 16 minutes and 43 seconds. This was my pick for match of the night. Oh, okay. Uh, and the one thing about this is. There was a couple botches here and there. Sure. Okay. But they were telling a very technical story, which I think unfortunately didn't get the big crowd reaction it should have because, mm. well, like we said, you have to wake the crowd back up. Mm-hmm. Like for like the fourth time. Yeah. So to see this get put on, I thought this was match of the night. I, and I knew, and I've been saying this for weeks. I said Rosa's time as AEW champion, that she needed a big win. This was a great win. And Deeb is no slouch. She'll be back. And obviously, they can set up more of a feud with her. Because my biggest fear is with Britt Baker winning the Owen Hart Cup, I don't know if that turns into a title shot. If that's the case, I don't doubt AEW taking the belt off Rosa Mm -hmm. and giving it to Baker again. I just hope they don't because I think Rosa has been very, very... Underutilized? Yeah, thank you. I was going to say ignored, but that's a better word. By the amount of lack of TV time she's had with the belt to right. cut interviews. I'm sorry, she's on the stage instead of in the ring, which is stupid to me. She should be in the center of the ring like you have every other champion in there. Should be should be in the ring having an open challenge. You know, do like John Cena did with the U.S. US championship. Yeah. You know, have an open challenge every week. Have somebody different come out to challenge her for the belt. Yeah, your women's division is, is very, very well loaded. So start utilizing it. You want to sit there and prove the critics wrong that you do have a good women's division, that you have some very talented women on the roster, which you do. Yes. You know, it's not the best women's division in pro wrestling right now, but hey, it's got some names and it's got some very good women on that roster. But you want to do more to like reinforce that, do that, than just having Rosa on commentary week in and week out with her, you know, sitting there with her fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, they got to do something. And this was a match that definitely a lot of fans were happy with. I was very happy with. Uh, like I said, it told a very technical story. That's what I was expecting from this. I wasn't expecting crazy chair shots or ladder right. bumps. Right. No, they told a great story. And now I just want to see who's next for Rosa. And I hope they start putting her on TV and we start building those feuds on TV and really kind of push her as the face of the women's division because she definitely is. Mm-hmm. Next up. Next up, uh, to quote Justin Roberts, shit was about to hit the fan. 
because uh, you had the Jericho Appreciation Society uh, take on the Blackpool Combat Club, that being Brian Danielson, Eddie Kingston, and John Moxley, along with Santana and Ortiz. Uh, and you had the Jericho Appreciation Society emerge victorious via submission in 22 minutes and 31 seconds. Well, you knew what you were getting with this one, so I'm not super shocked at this. A clusterfuck? Yeah, it was, it was, it was meant to be a mess, and this was. And the only highlights you can really say is they went out there and they tried waking up the crowd, and they did, albeit, though, not in the sense of great moves and such. Mm -hmm. It was the scariest image you're ever going to see with Eddie Kingston bloody and walking to the ring with a gasoline can ready to light Chris Jericho on fire. Looking like something out of a horror movie. Goddamn. That is the big takeaway from this match I have because it was all over the place. The crowd definitely got woken back up for this, so mm -hmm. which helps. Yeah. But at yeah. the end of the day, it was kind of like a weird thing where Kingston was fighting Danielson and was resulting in him getting put in that weird submission where he uh, gave up. and he, Like, he didn't tap, but he just passed out. Right. So they are going to be running this back in some kind of weird capacity. It was announced on the AEW Dynamite that they're going to have a blood and guts match, mm -hmm. which I'm sorry. You know I love hearing William Regal go, War Games! But him going, blood and guts! Just... Doesn't feel right. You put the same inflection into it, but yeah, no, it felt weird. It felt very weird, and I know they're going to do that on a dynamite, uh, which I is, right now is going to be a tag match, just a two person or a four person tag team of uh, Kingston and Moxley versus Jericho, and I'm assuming Garcia. I I don't know how I feel about that yet. We'll have to get into that as we get closer to that. But this match did what it was supposed to, and it was a big old mess. So. Enough said. Uh, next up was your co-main event of the evening, and that was for the AEW Tag Team Championship uh, because you had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus defend their belts against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and also Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. Uh, and you had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus uh, emerge victorious, retaining their belts via pinfall in 17 minutes and 18 seconds. Solid match. Just the only thing is I thought they should have moved the belts. The love affair with Jurassic Express is champs. Uh, I think it's gone off long, long enough. Like, it was time. The crowd, I think, was ready for it. In fact, I think they were a little deflated when it didn't happen. Right. Like, if you gave it to either team that was in the match uh, between Starks and uh, Hobbs or mm -hmm. Swerve and Lee, I think the crowd would have marked either way. Like, I think they definitely would have popped. I just think that right now, like, Jurassic Express has pretty much beaten everybody. Right. So where are we going from here? And we, they've been teasing that Christian Cage heel turn for so long. It's like yeah. now, now have been the perfect time to do it. And they just See, I, it. I didn't get it either. And then I saw that, you know, Dynamite this week was going to be in Los Angeles, which happens to be the home of one uh, Jungle Boy. Mm. So I'm like, oh, they're giving him the belt until he gets through his hometown. And then after that, he's probably going to lose. They're probably going to do something with him or, like, feature him in a good match in his hometown, you know. But then you get to Dynamite and he was in a 10-person tag match. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong in that aspect. Yeah, just kind of confusing about that ending. Hey, Booker of the Year, folks. Yeah, enough said there. And then was your main event of the evening where you had Adam Page defending his belt against CM Punk, uh, where you had Punk emerge victorious to become your and new AEW World Champion, uh, world champion uh, winning in 25 minutes and 58 seconds. So, no, by the time this match started, it was about 12.15. Uh-huh. It was late yep. on the East Coast. Yep. So, this match, good. Uh, Punk should never try a buckshot lariat uh, ever again in life. I never want to see him try it. Botched it multiple times. Uh, but this match, we kind of knew it was going to go this way. I mean, every, all signs have been pointing to they were going to move the belt off page, which I don't agree with. I don't like. Yeah. But 
I think somebody put it online best in saying the era of the new alternative is over. Mm-hmm. And it ended with Paige. Mm-hmm. I forget who said it, and I apologize. I'll be more than happy to credit if somebody sends me that tweet. But it's one of those areas that I, I fully agree with. I think for Paige being the hometown hero, so to speak, the homegrown talent, the one that the fan base was rallying around back in Jacksonville, to now see CM Punk come in, take the belt, and... Having not even been there a year. No, not being there a year, and now is going to be the head of the organization, so to speak. I, I just think that it was kind of a letdown for what AEW was really supposed to be in all this beginning. Like, it's still a watchable product, but... I think for what we were all expecting, I think it's safe to say that chapter's closed. I, I I agree with you, but I want to say I think it ended about an hour plus earlier than this when you had Adam Cole and Britt Baker win the Owen Hart tournament thing, and they gave him belts in, in a cup, which are going to mean absolutely fucking nothing. Because as of right now, they're just it's just a tournament. It's just belts and a cup that they get to you know, put in the proverbial trophy case, and, and it's a stat for the graphics team to put on TV when they appear on TV for the next two weeks. Sorry, I'm going to say it and call it like it is. That's some WWE shit. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's the Andre the Giant Battle Royal Championship. Sorry, is what it is. And it's the, the greatest Royal Rumble or whatever the hell they named that thing they did in Saudi Arabia where Braun Strowman won, and they gave him the belt and the champion and the, and the cup. This is some WWE shit. So for as much as you as you say you're all worthy alternative, these days you're doing more things like WWE than uh, being a competitor. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think this company is definitely taking a, a change. And whether you love it or hate it, I mean, you have a lot more faces from the WWE in there now than you had to begin with. And I think the message is very clearly sent that if you're trying to be WCW 2.0, 3.0, if you're trying to really compete with the WWE, this is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. I just, I like, I feel like it, this is going to be a very viable product. But when you're letting them live as rent free in your heads mm-hmm. as it's coming across, this is this is signs for trouble moving forward. I mean, we can even just kind of skip with going right to AEW Dynamite, right? Because Double or Nothing. Was a card. I gave it a D plus. I stand by my statements on that. It's a long ass card. I mean, like we said, the the pre show started at seven o'clock Eastern. So I'll say, you know, the doors opened at two hours early, so five o'clock Eastern. Show didn't get over until probably close to one a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's seven hours. So that was seven hours. That's a long ass fucking time. And then, you know, you got to restart the crowd four, five, six times to get them hyped back into it. That's a long-ass fucking card. Yeah, it, it definitely is. wasn't the best foot forward at the beginning of the, the show. And like I said, when you did the awards ceremony and, and acceptance speech, I, I thought that that was the turning point of the entire night because where you started gaining some momentum back, you let it slip again, and, and how you came back from that quote-unquote intermission, if you want to call it that, it, you just never grabbed your footing until the anarchy in the arena match. And after that, the crowd was was energized. But at that point, yeah, you only had two more matches left on the on the night. So did it really matter? And then, uh, like obviously with CM Punk becoming your AEW champion, the fan bases were kind of actually a little you know mixed reaction about that. I thought it was weird though they had FTR come out at the end mm-hmm. to celebrate with them, and I and I know yeah. they're kind of teasing a faction with them because that's how it's coming across for those trio spells. They they're so coveting, and I know like the post media scrum too, Tony Khan was very, very adamant about defending CM Punk. Got a little animated. Yeah, which, I mean, this kind of just translates onto the show where Dynamite, they had a major 
moment this week with the Warner Brothers executives coming uh-huh. to watch the show. Like, this has been very publicized in the media scrum we were in. Yep. This was a huge show to do. And the only highlight I can find from this, because I did watch the show, was MJF's uh, pipe bomb. Oh, yeah. Which, that's what it was. Call but, it what it is. Oh, it was. But I think in the weird sense, and this is how I'm going to tie up this segment, when we talk about living rent-free and such, I think the only reason he got allowed to do that is because he was paying homage to his hero. I think so, too, just because I, I pulled up a transcript of what he said, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I, I recommend you go find the video online and read the and watch it for yourself. But a couple of the highlights. Uh, quote, big merger, boss. Lots, A lot of important executives here tonight to watch your product. Would be a real shame if something bad happened. I wouldn't want to embarrass you, man. Speaking of embarrassing, you've been trying to sit down with me to hash things out for quite some time, haven't you? Well, guess what? Too little, too late. Uh, I know he went on to wrestle or reference WWE a couple of times, you know, basically saying, hey, you know, I don't, would I get paid as much if I were an ex-WWE guy? You keep bringing in all these WWE guys. And then screaming, you know, I don't want to wait until 2024, but you won't listen to me. So allow me to make it a little easier for you, Tony. I want you to fire me. And then he looks at some worker, you know, counting him down. He goes, don't count me down, you piece of shit. You shut your mouth. Tony, look at me. Tony, look at me. I want you to fire me. You fucking Mark. Fire me. Like I said, he let him pay homage to his hero. And and, and he being Tony Khan. And his hero even came out because there's multiple videos from multiple angles in the arena last night on Reddit, Twitter, and other places of after that pro after that promo was done because they they cut his mic off like they did CM Punk and his pipe bomb mm-hmm. and then they just cut to black a la CM Punk but there's video from fans in attendance that after that was done he was talking to, he was without a mic he was talking to the crowd yelling at the crowd hyping up the crowd and they were because that promo was incredible to watch because he went from when he came out fans were booing him incessantly and at the start of it they were chanting shut the fuck up you know, shut the fuck up to them chanting and cheering for him in less than 10 minutes. And he did all that. They cut his mic off. They go to black, but fan video shows as he's standing in the ring, punk comes out and punk comes walking down to the ring. And he looked like he had a little bit of a limp, but whether that was because he was missing a shoe or not, I don't know. And also one of the young bucks was up at the top of the ramp. Didn't come down, but one of it was matter. Nick Jackson was up at the top of the ramp standing there. And then, uh, much like his hero, CM Punk, MJF didn't stick around to talk to him. He hopped out of the ring, hopped over the barrier, and walked th- and walked through the crowd and left. It's a situation that they really just, like I said, Tony Khan, I think, was pay- letting MJF pay homage. Because, it, and in my opinion, Tony covets CM Punk so much that he's trying to copy a lot of what Punk used to do. Summer of Punk 2.0. I mean, or, or 3.0. Legitimately, like that's the vibe I got from this. That's the only reason he let MJF cut that promo because this would be like his moment recreating his own history. Mm-hmm. This is my like opinion of it because I'm sitting there watching and going like, all right, I know we were debating before if this is a work or a shoot. Uh, I think that they basically said, here are your grievances, and MJF did. I think it started as a shoot. Yeah. Simply because, I, I you listen, you don't work over the fans, you know. For as, yeah, that's the big telling point. For right as there. much as he's a heel, and as much he listen, he shit talked me. Yeah, he was at an he was at an excite wrestling event here in our t- in our t- town. He said that he was cutting an MJF promo as he was coming to the ring. He said something I don't remember what he said. It's been a number of years, but he said something. I laughed because it was funny, and he looked at me and goes, "What are you laughing at, fat ass?" 
Yeah. You know, so he does he doesn't do that to the crowd. He doesn't skip out on the crowd. He never misses an opportunity to. Yeah. You know, so you've got the whole nonsense and kerfuffle with the meet and greet. Also, I think you don't work over the boys and have some of the wrestlers stay for an hour or two over what they were scheduled to to make up for it. You just don't do that. Whether there actually was a, a plane ticket or not, I don't know. It, you know, I haven't seen one. Nobody's posted one. Sean Ross Sapp is claiming he's seen it, and, and Brian Alvarez at one point said, oh, I don't think there ever was one, and Sean Ross Sapp claims to have shown him the evidence that there was one and that it was going to land at Newark at some point, but he never got on. Mm-hmm. Is what it is, you know. So I think it started off as a, a shoot, but now it's gone back into a work, you know. And that I don't think things are better, but I think there's like a bandaid on there. But at some point, that bandaid's coming off. It's coming off because I think somebody, maybe Cody Rhodes, got an MJF's ear, maybe, and said, "You, I'm just speculating, maybe." Got in his ear and said, knock this off because you got too many eyes on you. Because WWE wrestlers were paying attention because somebody on Twitter pointed out that uh, for a live stream on Twitter, I don't know whether it was through an official AEW one or somebody, but somebody was live streaming the AEW presser with CM Punk and then Tony Khan were on stage. They put that on YouTube. Well, no, I know, but the the one I the photo I saw was from somebody live streaming it on Twitter. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, on gotcha. Twitter, okay. and, people, and people are commenting, but also much like Instagram and on Twitter, you can see when people join. And Seth Rollins jumped in there to watch. Oh, I'm sure. So I'm willing to bet your theory with Cody calling him Jeff is probably not far off. I'm sure. I, I'm sure somebody smart got in his ear, and I'm I'm guessing. Like I said, my probably, guess, probably Cody. My guess is Cody because Cody probably said, "Listen." I understand you're pissed. Oh yeah, he's been he's been down that road. But be professional because if you come in with that kind of baggage here, that is not going to be the best look for Vince and company. Like, would they probably still take a shot on you? Oh, yeah, I, but oh, they would. But let's face it: if you can go in there now, in the remainder of his contract, he's got 18 months left, give or take. Yeah, if he goes in there and does whatever he can do to generate this kind of buzz. Because the, the only thing that could happen is if Tony just keeps him off TV. Right. The fact that he let him get on TV, he wanted to recreate that moment. I'm sure that, you know, TK and him worked out something for this and let him air his grievances. But the big question is going to be what's going to happen moving forward and if this is really a work or a shoot. I mean, like I say, I think it started as a shoot, but now I'm completely convinced it's a work because I think that they were in front of all those executives – Tony wanted a, a, an earth-shattering moment. He wanted mm-hmm. to make the needle move. I think that's why they let him on TV, to be honest with you. And MJF went there. But I think that for a lot of the wrestlers in the back there, I don't think that they were exactly cool about this happening, in my opinion. Just kind of my vibe. Because you're not hearing too much of a reaction out of this from everybody. Now, maybe, just maybe, everybody was told not to comment about this on social. Could be. Which would be smart. But, nevertheless, I think that if your only highlight from your take home from dynamite, mm-hmm. which was okay, not great. Nice new set. I definitely like that, but nothing else really stood out on this, sh- this show, especially coming off your, your biggest pay-per-view of the year. I don't know how that, that kind of shapes up for everybody, except I think the only person who wins this weekend is MJF. Mm-hmm. Cause he's been the talk of everybody. He's been the, he's been the biggest conversation in all of pro wrestling since about Wednesday or Thursday last week. Yeah. So he's definitely been the noteworthy guy that we've been talking about, and this is why we spent so much breaking down this segment because he single-handedly has overshadowed their biggest pay-per-view of the year. Mm-hmm. Put that in perspective, ODPH Society. Yep. Man, 
We gave you a lot to think about concerning AEW and MJF, so you know the deal by now. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about AEW Double or Nothing? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's have that honest conversation. Let's keep it non-toxic because if you get toxic, we don't answer back. That's just not how we live here. And also, what is your take on the MJF situation? Who do you believe? Do you think it's real? Do you think it's fake? And who are you taking the side with? Let's have that discussion, shall we? And for more wrestling content, make sure to check out 607TWS on Twitch and in podcast form. And also on Parlay Points, the blogs count anywhere where we talk about more pro wrestling topics on the ODPH Podcast Network. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do your hobbies include comic books, movies, television, and or video games? Are you always behind with the latest news in the world of nerd? Well, look no further than the Oblivion Bar, a nerd culture podcast. Hosted by Chris Hacker and Aaron Knowles, the Oblivion Bar offers a weekly review of all the latest breaking news, in-depth discussions far beyond whether Han shot first, and newsletter section, where you, the listener, send in your questions to be answered live on the show. New episodes every Monday, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. I'm just so, so freaking excited! You can also find us on Twitter, at Oblivion Bar Pod. Come join us at the Oblivion Bar Podcast. Hope to see you there. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and it's time to talk some basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. We are finally here, Pad. Yeah. What a long, strange trip it's been. Uh Uh-huh. The NBA Finals start tonight as we record. And who do we have in those said finals, Pad? Uh, We have the Boston Celtics, the venerable 17-time champions, I think. Something Mm -hmm. like that, 17. I think they're going for 18. Uh, Going up against the New Age uh, dynasty, the Golden State Warriors. So why don't we break down how we got here. Golden State defeated the Dallas Mavericks. And dare I say... Easy fashion? Uh, Yeah. I know Dallas snuck in one game there, so it wasn't the full sweep. But they still made their presence felt. They still were pulling off that old magic that we knew Golden State had in them. Yeah. For how long they're cheating father time, we don't know at this stage. Do they have enough to sneak in there and get one more chip? I think if they have, you know, obviously they have the role players. So obviously this year they made it. But I think going forward, it's it. I think it's in the Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan thing. We're like, you, okay, you've got their core three. You put the role players around them, they'll be there every year. They should be. I mean, that's one thing, especially Clay Thompson back to being Clay. Uh huh. That's the biggest win they can do. Oh yeah. Plus, you've got the venerable uh, Steve Kerr, who is a good coach. Yes, absolutely. But this is a situation for Dallas. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this, Pat? Uh, I'm just, you know, hey, it's good for Dallas to make made it there. I like watching Luca, but God damn, you got to get that kid some help. Yeah, that's the one thing about this. I mean, I we can't really spend a ton of time talking about them because. This was all Golden State, Uh this entire series. And sure, they snuck in one. Yeah. And listen, kudos. That goes to show how good Luka is. Oh, yeah. But when you don't have that collective around you to really challenge the top-level teams, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a struggle. And I think that that's the only thing you can say about this is it went the way we thought. Oh, yeah. Nothing really right home about. They are who we thought they were. Exactly. Curse of the Unicorn struck them. Struck them very badly. <laughs> well, I think also, I mean, you just look at Dallas. Obviously, they were better than Utah. 
listen, no disrespect to Dallas, but I think they got lucky against Phoenix in that Phoenix Phoenix collectively forgot how to play in Game Seven. Yeah, oh my God, and they couldn't hit the ocean if they were standing on a dock on a, in, in the pier. Yeah, you know, so they got lucky with that. But then Luca's great, but one player cannot defeat the three monsters on Golden State with Draymond, Clay, and Curry when they're on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enough said there. However, though, the Eastern Conference Finals had a lot of headlines going on this one. Good Lord. So, Pad, why don't we break this down? Yeah, so, of course, the Eastern Conference Finals was between the Miami Heat, uh, who were the number one seed, and the Boston Celtics, who were the number two seed. That one was a knockdown dragout fight going all the way to Game 7, where you had Boston emerge victorious, winning four games to three. So, this was an epic series back and forth. Yeah. And this really tested the stamina, the will of who wanted this more. Because Mm -hmm. both these teams were very equal in their setup for the most part as they faced off against each other. So when we knew that they were facing off, we we said this was going to go seven. Mm -hmm. And I had a feeling that Boston was going to sneak in there and take this. Because Jason Tatum is playing at that level right now. Mm -hmm. That elite level. Yeah, And we talk about the Durants, you talk about the LeBrons, you talk about the upper echelon players in the league. Tatum is making his case that he's on that cusp if he's not there already. Well, so yeah, for the series, he averaged 25 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, and then 5.6 assists per game. Yeah, and then he playing at that high level, that is helping tremendously. That is doing a lot. Yeah. That for a Boston team that needed somebody to step up, and obviously, with the bad breakup with Kyrie Irving, Tatum has turned into that leader on that team. And that team is built to challenge. This is why they took it to Jimmy Butler's squad, who was better on paper. I'm not yeah. going to lie about it. Yeah. Did they have their issues with injuries? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can't take that away. But then again, when you're in the playoffs at this late stage in the season. Ain't nobody 100%. Exactly. You have to find a way to get through it. You have to find a way to challenge. You have to find a way to do this. And looking at what happened in that game seven, all bets were basically off. Mm -hmm. And this was a test that Jimmy Butler wanted this more than anybody, I think, on the court, even the Celtics. Because, Pat, you got his stats up? Yeah, so for Game 7, which, of course, went to the Boston Celtics, 100-96. to uh, Jimmy Butler, in 48 minutes played, uh, scored 35 points. 35 points on how many minutes? Uh, 48. So he left it all on the court. And I know it came down to a very questionable three-point review call, which, listen, I can't stress too much about. Mm-hmm. Did the Miami player... Hit that shot. Yeah, I think he did. But at that situation, it's tough to in dispute when they ruled him out Yeah, on the sidelines there because he, he drained a, a box shot. And it, this should have been, that was a game breaker for yeah. you know the Heat. But I will say Jimmy Butler bounced back. And the fact that he drove down late in the game, like I said, this was back and forth. And Boston definitely showed up for this game. And they definitely were challenging. But it was a situation that for Miami – they needed somebody else to really jump up there. Uh, Max Strauss was the guy. The mm. guy I was trying to remember the name for shooting. Uh, it was a situation that, yeah, should it rely on that? No. And I, and I know that a lot of people have been criticizing Jimmy Butler about taking the last shot against Al Harford. 
Mm-hmm. And Jimmy went for the win. He knew that they were tired. He understood the situation that his team was beat up and they needed to finish this. Going to overtime and trying to do anything against the Celtics would have just been disaster anyway. You've been prolonging, you know, yeah. what we all knew was going to happen. That Boston is more built for this now. They were healthier. They were playing a lot. And if you let Jimmy Butler get off for 35, you're challenging somebody else to step up. And I will say, Abadeo definitely showed up this oh, game. Oh, yeah, Cong- 25 points. Congratulations. Been more consistent. Maybe this one had gone this route. Kyle Lowry of 15. Show as much effort into ripping the jersey as you did the rest of the series. You might have won. Exactly. But when you take a look in comparison, the Celtics definitely had a great core around Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, 24 points. Same with uh-huh. Jalen Brown. Yeah. So when you have that nucleus clicking, and especially they jumped out early, this is a situation that they were ready to close this game out, that they had understood what was at stake here yeah and also i mean you gotta look at give alf horford credit only had five points but he did what you need a big man to do down low and that's grab rebounds 14 of them see i was off by a year because when he was with philly i said he was gonna be the the change the changing factor to get him to the finals i was off by one year but you know florida gators let's go yeah but you're exactly right though pat in all seriousness you need a team effort all around on both sides of the ball and horford's rebounds that's what matters more to me because you had three players in over 20 points each. Yep. That's huge. Oh, so yeah. the the points, you don't need everybody to drop 20. But if you can at least get some you know sizable effort out, that's going to be a big change. Mm-hmm. And this is a situation that now, going to those finals, after the Celtics played a gritty game, definitely a lot of emotion riding on this, we now go into game one. Pad, Let's talk about the series, who you got. Yeah, so of course, as we mentioned, it's the Boston Celtics taking on the Golden State Warriors. Game one takes place on a Thursday, that's tonight as we record, in Golden State, 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. All games on ESPN, or ABC, I should say, all games 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you got game two is on June 5th in Golden State. Game three, June 8th in Boston. Uh, game four, all on June 10th in Boston. Uh, game five, uh, if necessary, on June 13th in Golden State. Game 6, again, if necessary, June 16th in Boston. And then Game 7, obviously, if necessary, June 19th in Golden State. And according to Caesars Sportsbook, the Warriors are currently your favorites at a minus 160 odds to win the whole damn thing. And I'm going to give it to them. You know, I think Boston is good and they are good defensively. Just there's no way that Boston defensively... Boston was able to stop Jimmy Butler defensively, but, hey, that's just one guy. Mm. They were able to stop Giannis, but, again, Giannis is just one dude. You know, there's no way that simultaneously Boston, for as good as their defense is, can stop Clay, Curry, and Draymond, and then all the other role players. This is going to be a challenge. This is not going to be an easy series. I think that Boston brings a more stronger defensive presence to a Golden State offense that when it's clicking, it's damn near impossible to stop. I think Jason Tatum is going to show up for this, and I think he's going to have a superstar-making performance during the series. I really do. But the question is going to become, when Jason Tatum is shut down, and I think Golden State is going to make it a primary point to slow him down, can the other role players step up for the remainder of the series to get points? in comparison to all the options Golden State has. That's going to be the key X factor. Can mm-hmm. somebody step up and match Tatum for points every night? And not saying they got to have identical stats, but I think you're going to have to have a consistent performance from Smart and Brown 
if you're going to contend. You really are. I just don't think that they're going to have enough gas in the tank. I think that if you start getting into those late game four, game five, game six situations, this is where Golden State usually uh-huh. steps up. Usually, unless you're facing LeBron yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah. Never forget. Um, so that being said, I'm going to take Golden State as well. I'm going to take them in seven. Okay. I think it's going to get stretched out that way. I just think that this is going to be maybe the final swan song for this dynasty. That now everybody's back healthy. They're playing at an elite level. They've had a lot of luck go their favor. And unless something crazy happens with injuries, I just don't think Boston's going to have enough consistently to take them out for four games. I just think there's going to be a situation that when it comes to a game seven and that pressure's on, we still have a very young Boston team Mm -hmm. that might not be used to this, but let's face it, this is second nature to Golden State. They're used to the pressure. They're used to the highlights. Will they step up to rise to the occasion? I fully think so. I I can't see them faltering at this stage. Maybe. I'm rooting for Boston. I will tell you that right now because I think Jason Tatum is going to have that all-star performance, that superstar-making performance. Always been a big fan of him since Duke. But this is also a situation that is it enough to, you know, neutralize. That's Mm -hmm. the word. Is it enough to neutralize the Warriors? I just don't think it is. I just think that if they slow him down, can everybody else step up and keep up with the with the Warriors' offense? And I just I just don't see it happening here on paper. It's going to be a fun series, though, nevertheless. And that's one thing that I think fans should definitely tune in for because there are going to be a lot of interesting moments in this dynamic. I think the Boston defense versus Golden State is a great storyline. Can Tatum match up against Curry and definitely take that over? And what are you going to get out of Draymond Green and Al Harford? Some fun storylines are going to go into this. Oh, yeah. What a way to cap off the season. But, hey, at least Brooklyn is not there. Hey, yo. Never, we, can't, we can't go an episode without saying that. Just you know, hold the trophy warm for the Knicks for next season. That's all we say with that. But we have given you our picks. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on the hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the NBA Finals? Do you like Boston? Do you like Golden State? Who's taking home the chip this year? We want to have that conversation. So hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. My name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys. I'm Christian. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, obviously, the first of which is the local minute, uh, because the Binghamton Rumble Pony season in full swing. Uh, looking at their series from last week, where they were playing the Reading Fighting Fells, I believe they're called these days. Uh, they won their first game of the series 4-3. to three, Lost the second one of the series 5-1. Uh, to one. Won their next two in a row, both by the score of 6-4. to four. 
lost the uh, game on Saturday, the 28th, by a final score of 11-2. Yikes. Yay. Uh, and then won the series finale on Sunday, the 29th, by a final score of 9-7. to uh, They are now starting a uh, home series. They're home for the next two weeks. Uh, this week, they're playing the Somerset Patriots, who, if you're not familiar with them, they are the new AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. So it's a little mini AA Subway Series action going on here in the 607. Uh, they won their game on Monday on Memorial Day. It was Military Appreciation Day. Showed their support, showed their love, winning by the final score of 13 to 2. Hey, now. Oh, shit. Uh, looking at their games the, uh, uh, the rest of this week, uh, the game that was supposed to take place yesterday's record, obviously, given the weather and the like 6,000 people that lost power. Game didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so they're playing a doubleheader tonight uh, at the stadium. Uh, game one is set to take place at 5.05 Eastern p.m. Uh, game two, probably like a half hour, 45 minutes after uh, game one. I think that's usually how it works in double A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday, they're also at home. Game time, 7.05. Uh, Saturday, they're at home again. Game time, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Uh, should note it is speedy Saturdays. Uh, and then Sunday, the 5th of June, is the series finale against uh, Somerset. Game time, 1.05 p.m. Eastern. It is Sock Out Cancer Day, so I'm sure uh, they're going to be handing out some of the socks that benefit cancer research uh, down there. And then the next the week after that, like I mentioned, they're also at home. They start a series against New Hampshire. Uh, so for more information, tickets, and all that good stuff, bingrp.com. Uh, switching over to some more sports stuff. Uh, you got to talk a little bit of soccer, actually, uh, because we are getting close to the World Cup. you got qualifiers going on. And one of note that caught my eye this morning as I was watching SportsCenter, because it's a feel-good story, you had the Ukrainian national team taking on the Scotland national team. And obviously, given everything that's going on over in Ukraine is horrific and terrible and, and absolutely gut-wrenching to see, the soccer team giving them a little bit of hope mm. uh, because they played Ukraine just yesterday as we record uh, where they won by the final score of 3-1. to one. They're now one win away from qualifying for the uh, next World Cup. Uh, and if I read SportsCenter this morning correctly, should they make it, they will be in the same group, uh, I believe it's called Group B, with the uh, England, Iran, and the United States. But still, hey, congratulations to the Ukrainian national team. Uh, I know if you check out the highlights online, uh, given the displacement and the terrible tragedy going on over there. A lot of fans in the stands, a lot of hometown folks in the stands, and, and definitely giving them a feel-good moment amidst this terrible crisis going on over there. Absolutely. That's awesome to see they're making the cup there. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not leastly, a little bit more pro wrestling to talk because, well, WWE had a quiet week, you know, nothing too crazy. Didn't have guys cutting pipe bomb promos on them. <laughs> they do have a pay-per-view coming up, uh, or excuse me, premium live event. Uh, that's still weird to say. Uh, coming up this Sunday, June 5th, from the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois, and that is Hell in a Cell. Interesting. I yeah. forgot about that card was coming yeah. up. Yeah, so I'll uh, we'll run through the matches here. Uh, obviously, one of the matches taking place, and probably the one I'm looking for, well, one of the ones I'm looking forward to. Cody Rhodes taking on Seth freaking Rollins in Hell in a Cell. Should be a good matchup. Should be a great matchup. I'm actually calling Seth gets the win finally here because okay. I, I think that they don't want to give Cody so much momentum going into Money in the Bank. All right, you got to inflate his ego more. Inflate mm. him more. Rhodes Lander. Uh, I'm gonna no. I'm gonna go with Seth too. I, th- I think it's you know Seth won this one. And where we go from there, well, who knows? We'll mm. see. Uh, next up, you have Bianca Belair defending her belt in a triple threat matchup for the Raw Women's Championship against Asuka and Becky Lynch. That's gonna be a great match. That one should be a great matchup. I'm gonna say. Oscar or no, I'm just you know I'm gonna say Bianca. Although I could be wrong. 
I'll say Bianca retains because I think they're going to be setting up something for SummerSlam. So I'm going to okay. say she retains here. Okay. Uh, then you have Bobby Lashley along with almost, or excuse me, Bobby Lashley taking on almost an MVP in a two-on-one handicap match. Uh, should be a fun match. Yeah. Not really expecting a lot from this one. No. Uh, like Lashley in this one. Uh, and next up, you have Kevin Owens taking on the artist formerly known as Elias, a.k.a. Ezekiel, uh, in a singles matchup. Oh, this would be a funny match. This is going to be great. I'm not expecting too much out of this, like wrestling-wise, just because uh, Kevin Owens' psyche is going to get further broken down because everyone thinks that Ezekiel's Ezekiel and not Elias. Yes. And it's amazing to watch. Uh, they, I know because I did see a clip from the bump, the WWE morning show. They had Alexa Bliss on, and they asked they asked Alexa Bliss. They're like, who do you think he is? Do you think he's Ezekiel or Elias? And she's like, I'm going to sit here and eat my fries. Yeah. Uh, next, so that one should be funny. Next up is a singles matchup for the WWE United States Championship, and you have Theory defending his belt against Mustafa Ali. I'd love to see Ali win oh, here. Oh, I would too. This is this is gonna be great. Uh, next up is a six-person mixed tag match, tag team match where we have Finn Balor, AJ Styles, and Liv Morgan teaming up to tag against The Judgment Day, aka Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley. That's going to be a fun match. Oh, it's going to be so good. Now, are they putting them in the Hell in a Cell 2 or no? No, it just, just, just says it's a six-person tag match. Okay, but still, it's going to be definitely some great in-ring work, though. Very excited to see how these six mm-hmm. you know, mix in together. Like I say, yeah. New Age Bullet Club versus uh-huh. Judgment Day. Sign me yeah. up. Uh, and then the last match we have announced, although I'm sure more, at least a couple more will get added between uh, now and Sunday. The last one listed here is the Usos taking on Riddle and Shinsuke Nakamura for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships. Now, if you're not familiar with what's going on here, Randy's got some uh, back issues going on. At mm-hmm. least that's what they're saying in story. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, but you did have uh, Riddle appear on Friday Night SmackDown this past week, and he's been teaming up with Shinsuke. You know, I know he teamed up with him Friday. I think he teamed up with him again on Monday. So now they're going to have them face off against uh, the Usos for the undisputed tag team belts. Should be a good matchup. Should be a fun matchup. I like the Usos in that one, though. Yeah, I, I do, too. But, yeah, uh, should be a fun card. Uh, I believe the main card starts at 8 o'clock Eastern on Peacock here in the States. Uh, and then check your local listings if you're outside of the States. Uh, should, be a fun, should be a fun matchup. Absolutely. So for mine, well, we'll talk a little quick UFC going on this weekend. They do have a fight night going on. Mm. Uh Rosenstruck has taken on Volkov in the main event, so if you're in the heavyweight fights, I do like Rosenstruck a lot in this one. Uh, but the rest of the card is kind of like, it'll be a fun night of fights if, if you want to kind of deep dive into it. There's not a lot of big names that the mainstream sure. public would know, but there's some very solid contenders on here. They're going to be making some moves happen. And in the heavyweight division, I mean, this is definitely a solid fight that Rosenstruck, if he wants to keep his name around that title contention, he's got to win. Volkov, I... I've never been super impressed with, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I just I think that Rosenstruck should take this. Rosenstruck, twelve and three. Uh, Volkov is thirty four and ten. And if you're wondering why my voice sounds a little hoarse this morning, <laughs> let's close this show out talking some Stanley Cup playoffs and the greatness that is Blue Shirt Nation. Mm-hmm. Those boys from New York pulled off a dramatic win against Carolina to seal a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals. Handing Carolina their first home loss in the playoffs, if I'm not this season, this uh, playoff season, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yes, indeed. They punched them right in the mouth. They needed to do what they set out to do. I understand Ratna got a little hurt yeah. during this, but I don't think that it was going to matter. I think the Blue Shirts came out swinging, mm-hmm. and they wanted this more. And, I, and it was a situation for Carolina, who is a good team, don't get me wrong. 
But when your shooters don't want to shoot and they're not setting the pace and you had New York come in there firing up on all cylinders, mm-hmm. this is a bad precedent to see for your team that you got to really step up and, and really take the home crowd back because they were taken out. And then when it got within a 3-1 stance, yep. the Rangers came right back within like 40 seconds to score. Once that happened, it was over. Yeah. And there was nothing really to write home about. And then the Rangers punched their ticket to face the one only Tampa Bay Lightning. Who'd been off for like a month at this point. Yeah, I mean, they've been sweeping everybody. They've been on fire. And, Pat, what happened to them? What happened to those Lightning? I'll say Lightning, a little bit of skate rust. Yeah, maybe. Uh, the Rangers took game one, winning by the final score of 6-2. to two. I know this was something a lot of people wondered. Lightning, like I said, they've been off for like a month. You know, it's been a while since they last played game. Rangers, a couple of days. Maybe the Rangers would be tired. Maybe the, with the Lightning, you know, freshly rested, they'd be all good. Firing on cylinders. Ha! <laughs> nope. Not even close. The Rangers came in there and punched them right in the mouth. Kreider with a goal right in, what, 40 seconds into the game? Something like that, yeah. And the Garden came unglued. It was wild to see. And for Lesky, listen, I understand that he is a great goalie, and I get this, but, man, the Rangers tore him apart. It was close for all of a period because after the first period, it was tied one goal apiece. After the second period, it was 4-1. to or, yeah. excuse me, it was 4-2 to two after the second period. Well, when you break it down, I mean, the Rangers were winning the four-check. They were definitely putting the pressure on, which this matchup is a lot better than Carolina. I thought Carolina gave them the most problems going forward. Sure. And to, I did not want to see Carolina in the playoffs because they, they play great defense, and they were definitely a lot quicker getting to the puck. Tampa Bay is more equal to the Rangers in kind of how they have their lines set up. I mean, Steven Stamkos is a hell of a player in the slap shot he ripped. I think the Rangers got to be looking at tape going, how did we leave him that wide open? Because mm-hmm. that was a shot that when it tied up 1-1. But when you start taking a look at your other role players, like Vitrano, him sneaking in there, and Scheidel, who is on fire right now for the playoffs, this is a situation where the kid line of the Rangers is really kind of making some noise, yeah. and they're definitely you know leading the pack there. And like I say, when you have this kind of situation where you are having multiple people chip in, you're getting everybody more invested. The Lightning, I think, took them too lightly. No pun intended. I just think it was a situation that they had enough time off, they were looking fully rested and not ready to go, and they got punched right in the mouth. And this was a bad punch, too, because the Rangers were scoring at will. And once Mika Zibanejad, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who I believe has more goals over Velasquez than anybody else this season. Mm-hmm. Got that one in. It was like yeah. I'll say the Rangers in one game eclipsed the number of goals Tampa Bay had allowed in the entire playoff series. Yeah, it's insane. But this goes to show about how this team wants it, and they they hustled their ass off too. I love seeing how their effort was because I was very curious to see if they're going to feel any you know fatigue. Because mm-hmm. obviously taking to back to back game sevens, yeah, that wears on the body. I'll say, and if I'm not mistaken, also back to back three one deficits. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, – I'm, I'm not sure if it was 3-1. It might have been 3-2. Uh, well, but either way, though, it doesn't matter about that because they, they scrapped to win. And Shedderkin, listen, Igor. Igor. Igor? Igor. Igor, yeah. It does not matter. You can just call him champ because he stood in that goal, and he, after getting razzled a little bit, locked it in. 
He took a bad uppercut, though. Yeah, I heard something about the, that. In the third. Well, the guy was going for the puck, and he, he caught him. So it wasn't intentional. Right. I know things got chippy at the end with the game, and I know that there was a couple fights that were breaking out. But Igor took a shot. Mm-hmm. And he shook it off, got back in there, and was making save after save after save. He looked phenomenal. Like They looked like that team of destiny. And, yes, am I a little biased? Of course I am. Yeah. But am I saying what I saw in the optics? Yeah, I'm saying I saw a, a Tampa Bay team that looked too rested. And maybe, you know, for all the hockey they played over the past two years. Because we got to think. I mean, obviously, going back to back in the Stanley Cups. Yeah, wear and tear. There's a lot of tear on those tires. And it's going to catch up to you. So I think the fact they got some rest, it really showed in this game. Mm-hmm. Now, am I expecting this to happen again in game two? Hell no. Probably not. But would I be that surprised? Not really, because I think the Rangers definitely went in there and wanted to take the tempo, and they had to, and they got to come out with the same energy Friday night. If they can jump on two nothing, I like their chances of winning this outright. I mean, more than I already do. Mm-hmm. But I think if they can get the drop on Tampa Bay, and if you can really slow down Headman, you can really slow down some of the other role players for Tampa from doing what they're normally used to doing. It's a situation that the Rangers can punch that ticket easy. And especially now that they're starting to wake up some of their other shooters, Panarin's finally coming alive after he's, Red been, man. he's been a little quiet in the playoffs from what we were expecting him to be. And like I said, that kid line is showing up too. Big things happening with the Rangers. I love the energy. I love seeing what's going on here. I believe in Igor. Blue Shirt Nation, stand the puck up. Let's go. And I don't even care what's happening in the West because, be honest with you, it's like a video game out there. Uh, yeah, game one. Obviously, the series is uh, between the Colorado Avalanche and the Edmonton Oilers. Game one went to the uh, Colorado Avalanche by the final score of eight to six. Yeah, and this is not the first time this happened in the series. I just want to point that out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in this Western final conference, Western conference, yeah, in playoffs. Period. Their goaltending has been very sus. Uh, goaltending is optional. Yes, for a lot of those teams in the West. So if they, whoever comes out of the East, I think has the advantage out the gate. Dear Western Conference, this difficulty appears too easy for you. Would you like to up the difficulty? Well, I think the team that scares me the most, if they come out of here, is Colorado. If they can get it together. But, man, I tell you what, I love what I'm seeing from the Rangers. So I'm super happy about this. I have no problem talking a lot of trash about this. Because Tampa Bay desperately needs game two, but if the Rangers can punch them in the mouth one more night, which, I mean, they've had this luck of this uh, season over them, just putting it out there, mm-hmm. this could be kind of a short series. And I think for the Rangers, I would not mind a short series at this point. I need something like this. I just don't want them to go down to a 3-1 deficit and have you lose years off my life again. Oh, I don't either. Please, no. And I don't, and I don't think they're going to. I think this team is playing too competitively to go down again. And I think the one thing they've had is they've been able to challenge consistently. Mm -hmm. And for everybody that's calling lightning and six, as I'm reading on uh, the early predictions. Uh, Politely, fuck off. Yeah. I don't know what... I don't know what you're thinking that they're going to obviously run away with this. I, I would, I've called Rangers in seven, and I'm hoping I'm wrong about that. I'm hoping it's closer to Rangers in six. But I think the, the team uh, put it very, very politely, why not us? Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you want more Rangers talk, 
Coach Duffy literally just sent us a blog. Holy shit. To post. So he is alive. He's probably somewhere around Madison Square Garden sleeping, trying to get in for game two. Well, he needs to get Dolan to answer for the egregiousness of the Knicks decisions. Well, he's got to sneak in there first. I mean, that's his whole thing. You know, he's got to put on the, the Bobby Valentine Groucho Marks mask, <laughs> you know, and then kind of get in uh, to have that word with James about the Knicks. But, you know, if he's down there giving the – Rangers some karma by all means. But we do have a new blog. They'll be getting dropped later today from Coach Duffy. So we definitely want to keep that Rangers talk going. Blue Shirt Nation stand up. I think that this is actually the first team that all of us, like in the entire 607 podcast fam, are all like fans of. Yes. No, you're right. Yeah, I think everybody is. Like 3FN definitely is. Uh, I don't know if Mike C watches hockey. But uh, I think no. I think everybody else is, though. So, I mean, this is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It's a beautiful thing to see here at 607 Podcast, the love for the Blue Shirt Nation. So let's stand up. Let's go. Stanley Cup finals are going on soon, but we got to get there first. So Blue Shirt Nation showing up Friday night. Let's go. <sighs> that being said, Pat, the music you heard on this edition of the LDPH is that of Brian Wolf. Guess what? He's got a big show Friday night. Yeah. He's got a big thing for his patrons. He's playing mm-hmm. the new EP. There's If you're in the Austin, Texas area, Make sure to go track him down. Go say hi. Tell him that you know the ODPH. Making the rounds on radio, I hear these days. Yeah, he's doing big things down there. So, like, I know we have a lot of listeners in Austin and around there. So, listen, I'm, I can't stress this enough. Go see Brian. He does know a. He, he will probably say, I'm not playing any Nickelback. So I was can, just going to say, you recommend he play Nickelback. Yeah, I was going to say, he'll probably say, if Ken's told you to play, I'm playing Nickelback, uh, I'm going to tell him to screw himself. Um, but, Pat, if I want to find out more about Brian, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing it over music section. Check out everything going on with Brian. Everything going on. Shout out the robots. Second Suitor, who just signed a, the Second Suitor Slam is coming on. I just got the yeah. notification about that. Yard Party, who at some point, we, I swear, we'll have him on the show. Even if, I have, if, if I, even if I see him at Suter Slam, I'm just going to throw the phone down. We're just going to record it there. That's how much we're going to have him on the show. We will make that happen at some point. Uh, Floodlands, amazing people. Tom Jolu, the man, the myth, the legend. All those great musicians that give us their music to play on the whole 6 or 7 podcast family. We can't support enough. But while you're at the website, go check out Parlay Points. New blogs dropping. Like I said, Coach Duffy gave us a blog. Time to go get a lottery ticket, folks. I'm excited to see this. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, and more wrestling blogs will be coming up. I don't know if I'll get a chance to do a blogs count anywhere this weekend because I'll actually be at GCW. Hey. So, uh, yes, Tournament of Survival and Cage of Survival. So uh, we'll see about that. I'll see if I can whip something up quick, though, maybe on the ride. Type, uh, it, type it in the car. Yeah, I might have to. Well, I got that, and I got a bunch of uh, comic reviews to do, too. Uh, so uh-oh. I will be challenged this weekend, but I'm going to make it happen, damn it. But if you want to find out everything going on the uh, Parlay Points, more conversation points, that's why you swing over there. You go f- subscribe to the RSS, as they say. So, you know what? I can't fault him on that. Also, check out the classified section, which has friends of the show, organizational link support, Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in. So, shout out the Apocalypse, shout out the Inner Circle, shout out 607 Podcast, 8122 Productions. Big things happening with those guys, too. So, you want to sign up for their Patreon? The directory, which had how many providers are we on now? Oh, 57,602. Sounds about right. So, for all that, the T Public Store and so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only, Padawan J. You fucking mark! Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken. I'm Blue Shirt Nation. Let's go. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.
All that 